Well, listen, we're in a series right now called Open the Eyes of My Heart. And really, the series is about this process of asking God to, the Word says, enlighten or open the eyes of our hearts so we can see the world with God's eyes, everything about it. I've used the example of that that might date me a little bit, that Claritin Clear, you know, and it's kind of fuzzy out there, and then Claritin Clear, and they kind of pull this, you know, the film off of that, and we can see, we can see perfectly there. That's what God wants for us. God wants us to be able to see with his eyes, with that type of clarity, so that we understand our purpose, our mission, and what God would have us do with this life that he's given us here. And what would God want us to be as a family, as a church family? Our message for today is, Holy Spirit, help me to be a reproducing disciple to go and make disciples. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, but this is really, really important because God's made it really important to us. The big idea here is, I put up the idea as it's desire, God's desire, but we're going to read the Scripture, and we're going to understand it's not just the desire of God's heart for us to become reproducing disciples, to go and make disciples. You're going you're gonna to see, it's not just the desire and something. God gives us a commandment. Actually, the word we refer to sometimes the Great Commission. We get that, okay? But this idea, it's God's desire for each of us to become reproducing disciples, to go and make disciples. God wants to let, we want the Holy Spirit to kind of open our eyes. We got a lot of ground, I said. And I want to start off with this. Several years ago, we're all here in church, right? We know that word isn't the word Jesus used, you know, it's actually a German word that refers to a building. We'll go away with that. But it's this idea that we're here in church together. Several years ago, I was speaking to a group of men in a large city on the East Coast, and I asked them the question. I said, so what is the purpose of the church? About 400 guys, pastors, men's leaders, and so forth. I said, so what's the purpose of the church? And I had whiteboards behind me, and they started shouting out these things. You know, you know, we got to raise up pastors. We got to raise up this. We and oh my goodness, I filled up the whiteboards with this, right? And I said, okay, all of those are really good. I think I don't disagree with any one thing as a component. But does God tell us what the actual purpose of His followers are? Is there a place we can go to in God's Word and look and say, well, what is that? When we look at Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through twenty, right? And it's, it's clear, it's referred to as the Great Commission. Here's what, now remember, Jesus has come back, and there's a great part of this. It says, now the 11 disciples, remember Judas wasn't with them anymore, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, get this, two things. When they saw him, they worshiped him, and some doubted. Just think about that for a moment, would you? Just pause and think about that. Here's the 11 disciples that had followed with Christ. They'd walked, they'd seen the miracles, they'd done everything, right? He said, I'm coming back, right? And here's the part for me personally. Have you ever had times you walk out of a service and you hear what you think is a good message? Because there's going to be some great speakers here. So, you know, we're going to have some good times. But you walk out and you go, boy, that was just for me. And by the time you get in your car, you walk away or you get to work or school or someplace on Monday, and this doubt sets in, right? You ever have the feeling that Satan wants you to feel like, you call yourself a Christian? Really? Here you just hear that, you know the Scriptures, you've done that, and you feel like Satan's saying, and you call yourself a Christian? Really? Huh? That you doubt? Of course we do. Look, we're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but we're not perfect, are we? 
and everybody in here, you can look at a time in your life, you go, I just had doubt. I doubted if Jesus was there for me. I doubted if He would do what He said He would do. There are people sitting in here today that are in a battle. And maybe you're doubting if Jesus is who He says He is and does what He says He'll do, aren't you? You know what? Can I tell you as your pastor, it doesn't make you a bad person and it doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you human. It makes you part of God's family right? Because you got to remember, if, there, if you're doubting, there's something you have to doubt. So there's a belief system there. You understand what I'm saying? You can't just doubt nothing and go, well, I'm doubting that. What are you doubting? Oh, nothing. I'm just doubting it. No. There is that belief system in place that there has to be a belief system in place to doubt. And, and look, we want to get stronger in this process, but we're in a battle, aren't we? And so here's what he says is, you go back to this scripture, he says, I got halfway on that, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. I use that to be people groups, okay? Disciples of the nations is what he says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and what does he say? Teaching them. Did you get that? teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, love this, I am with you always till the end of the age. And that's what he says to us, right? And we get that word. And so what there's, there's three things as we look at these commands that Jesus gave, this commission. And remember I said it, it's the Great Commission. I served in the United States Army for about 23 years. I started off as a private E1 because they didn't have a lower rank. It was a long time. Okay, we got some laughers out here. Let me just explain something to you that I didn't explain in the first service. You know how they say there's two sides to every story? Everybody with me? That is not true on a police report. It's just their side, and you're stuck with it, right? So due to some erroneous police reports that had my name on them, let's just go there, right? You might as well laugh at that because when the lightning strikes, we're all going, okay? I had to have a waiver to join the Army as an E1 in 1971. True story. But you think that's crazy? Two years later, they commissioned me as an officer in the United States Army. Now, that's when it really gets crazy, you know? That's that deal in MASH where they said, how did he get there? And they said he was drafted. Okay, got it. But my point on this is, when I was commissioned, right, I was given the authority to function as a commissioned officer in the United States Army. That's that word. So when you read this, and he says, the Great Commission, and he uses commands... That is empowering you to do what Jesus has called us to do. He's not hanging us out there and saying, I'm going to give you this, but I don't give you the authority. You know, just the responsibility. Anytime you're given responsibility without the level of authority, we've missed it. So Jesus is not only giving you the responsibility, he's saying to you, and I'm giving you the authority to do this. And that's what his heart is on this. So there's three things. He says, what first? Go and make disciples. Go make disciples, right? And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In two weeks, we're going to have a baptism ceremony here. If you have not been baptized or Maybe it's a time in your life and you were baptized as a child or something. My wife and I were both baptized for the second time. If you laughed at them letting me in the army with a waiver, you'll enjoy this. My, uh, my wife and I were baptized together at Fort Lewis, Washington with the Protestant women of the chapel. 
I was the only guy. And they baptized 12, 11 or 12 ladies, and then they brought my wife and I together. Our two sons are sitting there, and the commander, and the sergeant major, and all of that. But that was the, that was the baptism for me, right? And I needed that because I had been baptized very early in life, had a long period. I didn't really walk with the Lord. I don't know any of that. But if this is a season for you, this idea of baptism at Summit Church, you need to know, is not your salvation. It's not it. The relationship you have with Jesus Christ, with coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay, that's salvation over here. Baptism is an act of obedience, right? That's what it is. It's an act of obedience because you're saved and know Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? So on the 16th, that's what we're going to do. Because why? Why do we do that? Jesus said that's what we're supposed to do as His family. That's what He told us to do. And He wasn't where it was kind of mumbling, you know, that He just made it. And then He says this, teaching them to observe, obey all that I have commanded you. You know, one of the reasons of the bazillion, I don't even know what a bazillion is, but it's a lot, that I love Summit Church and I love being here with you, is the, the heart of our leadership, starting with our elders and the staff has just been insane and the dream team that serves you and they've got their shirts on. It's to help you in this journey, and we're going to talk about this, your personal journey, not ours, your journey in walking with Christ and being what God called you and created you to be. That's, that's, it excites me. That's the growth track. We talked about it at 1230. But there's also going to be leadership tracks. There's going to be things that we do in this church because the focus here is to prepare and equip you to live out the very best life God has for you out there, not in here. We're not here to impress each other. We're out there to make Jesus famous because He's the Jesus that we know. Does that make sense? That's what we want to do. And you think that excites me? Oh, yeah, it really, really does. But here's the other part. At the very end of that, Jesus finishes up with this statement, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know why that's excite me? I've kind of been in the slow reading group. I don't know I ever left it. But I love it when somebody gives me something to do, and I know not hovering over me, you know, kind of every little minor detail in that. But I know they're present if I need help. You know what I mean? You ever had that? What sometimes when somebody says, okay, I want you to do this, 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 and this. And by the way, I'm going to go play a round of golf and I'm going to head to Mexico for a couple of weeks. I'll check back and see how you did. That's a different feeling, isn't it? That's not what God's doing. In the triune Godhead, Jesus said, okay, listen, here's the things I want you to do. Boom, boom, boom. It's a great commission. But then he says this, but listen, I'm going to be with you. I'll be right there. And we're going to do this together. And I love that part of that, of what Jesus tells us there. And the reason is, is that it's important to know that as we walk through this, right, Jesus is right there with us. Now let's get back to those 400 men. You thought I'd forget, thought, forgot them, and it was just kind of one example. So we got through this thing on the church, and what's our Go and make disciples. That's it. That's the purpose of this church. Now, we want to make disciples that are missionaries, that are in the workplace, and some are lawyers, some are students right now in that journey, but go and make disciples. So then I asked the guys, I said, okay, now that we're having fun, whiteboard erased, what's a disciple? There was a long pause, 
And then I had one gentleman say, well, a disciple is one who understands and exhibits all the fruits of the Spirit. Wow, that's cool, isn't it? And then I asked the guy, I said, so how long have you been a Christian? He said, about 40 years. I said, cool. I said, are you there yet? And then all of a sudden, they, even the body language, he goes, well, not exactly. Sounds like that old commercial, you know, in the rental cars. Not exactly. I said, okay, what else? Another guy said, well, it's simpler than that. It's to understand and follow all the teachings of Jesus Christ in your life. Yeah, that was what I got. I had to step back like this and go, wow, that's impressive. And then I asked the guy, I said, so how long have you been a Christian? And he goes, over 50 years. I said, how cool is that? Are you there yet? He goes, well, not really. So I'm thinking to myself, I was a much younger myself back then, you know what I mean? And I know people going, I'm 75 in a couple of months, so just put that one away. So I was a much younger myself. And I'm going, I got two men right here that between the two of them have over 90 years that would, they would say that they were walking as Christians on this earth, and by their own definition, they hadn't gotten there. But more importantly, they didn't see any way to get there. And that's a problem for me. Because if we say this is what Jesus is calling us to do, there's things about that that I believe that are very, very important for us. And it's not to get 50 years as a Christian and give somebody a definition that we can't even live up to ourselves. Doesn't make much sense, does it? So I went from there and I said, okay, so let's walk through this. There's two things that I want to tell you that I believe and believe very strongly. This book right here is God's love letter to me as his son. You can get your own letter, but this is mine okay? It's kind of chewed up on the inside and a lot of, a lot of writing and stuff in it. It's because it's a, it's a love letter from my father. But there's, here's what I believe, that God speaks to us through His Word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. But in that, we get to the teachings of Jesus. There's four things I believe that, that the teachings of Jesus were meant to be. One is they've got to be teachable. Why do I believe that? Well, what the Scriptures say, right? Go and make disciples, teaching them, right? That's the word. So they got to be teachable. If God's going to give us principles, they have to be things that we can teach. The second thing is they have to be applicable. You know, on this, I, I don't know if you've ever been someplace and you, okay, maybe just me. You're sitting in a message and it's powerful and it's exciting and all of this, and you're expecting the angels to come down and the hallelujah choir to sing. But you leave there and you go, what do I do with this? I mean, it was a great message. I loved it while I was sitting there, right? But when I go to work tomorrow, how do I take this Sunday message to my Monday workplace? How do I handle four kids at home while I'm working? If it doesn't work there, then it's just, you know, the hallelujah choir and all of that, right? How do I take it over here for a couple and say, if it doesn't work in your house, though, you can go, gosh, we left here and wasn't that wonderful? Yeah. What do we do with that? So if it's not applicable in each one of our situations, we've kind of missed the mark on this, haven't we? So it's got to be applicable. The second, the third thing here is it's got to be reachable. You know, when we give you a definition and say, okay, you got to be able to look and say, I mean, isn't it logical to say, can I actually do that? Is that something I could do? Well, of course it is. But we've got to lay this out. And here's the other part. I told you how excited I was about Summit Church, and I'm so excited because... 
this applicable playing, we're not going to tell you, here's what you do to have a faith like mine, you know, because I'm going to share my faith. Saints, you need to understand something. I don't have enough faith to get me by most days. I don't have enough to share. But what we want to do at Summit is we want to have the tracks that you need. We want to have the processes in place so you can walk and have your own faith and know what God wants you to do with that. But it's not part of my faith. And sometimes I think we make a mistake with young people. We say, well, I'm going to share my faith to all the young people, right? And I, it just doesn't work that way. So we get this. So that was the first thing is teachable, applicable, reachable. And finally, it's got to be reproducible, doesn't it? And, and here's the thing that was on, on my heart on this is Jesus didn't come to give us these unattainable standards to make us look bad. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't come with his teachings to set the bar so high none of us could ever do that. That's not what Jesus did, did he? So when we look at this teachable, applicable, reachable, and reproducible, right, in the lives of others, because that's what you do to make disciples, right? The second issue that we have here that I believe is equally important is, I believe that the definitions we use have to apply equally to all generations. You know, we, one of the things that, another one that I love here at, at Summit is, we're moving closer, and we're going to get a lot closer. But this is going to be a church for all generations, it's going to be a church for all cultures. It's going to be a church where we recognize the gifts in all genders. Do you understand? Male, female, your age group, whatever you're, this is going to be a church where what we're teaching, we've got to make it apply there. So I could have said generations and used the other two G's of gender and geography, meaning culture, right? But it's got to be culturally, it's got to be, you know, appropriate in all of those, and the definitions have to work. So I was sitting here, and I got Kendall here, and I said, if I give a definition, then I look at her, and she looks at me and says, yeah, that's a good definition for you, but that doesn't work for me, because the definitions that we've got, and, and look, I will, at almost 75 years old, I'm just going to take it on my age group, we can be the worst. Okay, we really can. Because the longer you've been a Christian, the more you get this pharisaical spirit, you know, where we can give rules to others that we're not living with, or, you know, we don't become a safe place to ask the tough God questions. And people ask me, what do you want to see at Summit Church? I said, I want to see a safe place for everybody to be able to ask their tough God question. Because if you don't have a place you can ask the tough God question, you're not going to come to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Because the only way I got there is I had to ask some tough God questions. Is God real? How do you know? If you can't ask that question to me and that, and let me just tell you, I said they, us older ones, <laughs> okay, let me just give you a technique. And by giving it, I'm revealing it so you can't use it, right? Because people look at you and say, oh, no, no, he talked about you, okay? Yeah, that's when you ask the tough God question. Somebody says, you know, one of our younger people go, Hey, hey, Pastor Chuck, is God real? And then the older person goes, wow. I really thought you would have known that by now. And then you walk away. See how you do that? You don't have to answer the deaf God question. You know, the other one is, you know, when they ask that, the other thing you can look at them and just go, wow. How long have you been a Christian? And then just leave it at that and walk away. See what I'm saying? No, no, no. 
That's why we're putting so much effort in here at Summit Church that you can ask the tough God questions. Those are fair questions for us. Those are questions that have to be asked for you to draw near to the God that created you and has a purpose for you. We're okay with the tough God questions, okay? We're okay with them. It's just that simple. But I will tell you this, when I give you a definition for something, it's got to be the same for me as it is for you. And it's got to be the same definition I'm giving you and so forth, okay? So, Here's the deal, all right? When I give rules, they better apply to me. And whether you see those, you know, I, I give you a rule here, but I'm a different person when you see me out there. Pretty much lost all credibility on that, haven't I? So the person that, I, that gives you the rules, we have to live by them, not just here in the church where we, it's so easy to look good in church, isn't it? Come on, let's just admit it. On Sunday morning, isn't it easy to look your best? Boy, Monday comes, it's tough, isn't it? Because you're not around all the church people. You know what I'm saying? So you don't have to act like a church person. But what God's calling us to is to be the same person all the way through on that. So then we, we come down through this and we're saying, okay, so what is a disciple? I told you these 400 guys, they started saying, oh, gee whiz, it's the pastors to make this. They just, and they go through all of this stuff. And I said, no. You know, I looked at Miriam, the, the Webster Dictionary, you know, it comes right from Google. But they've got their first one says, so what is a disciple? And it says this, it's the one who accepts and assists in the spreading of doctrines of another. Okay? One who accepts and assists in the spreadings of doctrine of another. Okay, that's a start, isn't it? But what do we got on this that could really help us here? All right? They say, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any map will get you there. And any road looks good. And that's great if you've got a vacation. Say, I don't just care where we want to go. I had a buddy that... He had to leave in the military and he could catch a hop and he had a hot weather bag and a cold weather bag. And he says, I'm walking down, I'm going to go to the air terminal there at the Air Force Base and whatever plane's leaving, I'm going to either put the hot bag in the locker or the cold bag. Okay, that's good. That's not a great way to live, is it? That was a nice little vacation. That's all it was. But that's not how we're supposed to live. So if we don't know where we're going, we need to have them, you know, we need to know and understand that. I have a, I have a good friend he was one of the founders of Promise Keepers, a guy named Dan Schaefer. He taught me this in 1970, in 1994, and it was a Chinese restaurant. Don't ask me how I remember this, but I can tell you where we were sitting too. But the thing that he taught me was you can't teach what you don't know, you can't lead where you won't go, and you only reproduce what you are. So when Jesus is instructing us, go and make disciples, isn't he really saying, Become a disciple and reproduce what I've done in you and someone else. It's that reproducible factor that we talked about there. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you won't go. And you only reproduce what you are. But here's the deal. To make disciples, we've got to be a disciple first. So what is a disciple? I'm going to give you a very quick definition, but I want you to understand. We've got some very young ladies here. I love it. We've got some older people here. We've got about everything, don't we? Well, the definition has to work for all of us, but it has to work not because I give it to you, but because you can make it applicable in your life. Does that make sense? So a disciple is simply this. A disciple is a fully devoted, spiritually maturing follower of Christ. There's three elements there to what I said. The heart issue is the heart is fully devoted. 
I said at the first service, if you don't know what fully devoted means, then, you know, go to the 50s, 60s on Sirius Radio and you listen to Captain and Tennille and the Carpenters. And then I looked and I said, okay, for the two of you that know what I just said, we'll talk afterwards. But for the rest of you, you know what these songs are. But the heart is fully devoted. That's the first step. So that's the heart issue, okay? The second thing here is, is the mind has decided. The third issue is the journey that we're on. So we got the heart, we got the mind, and we've got the journey, okay? So let's start first. The characteristic of being fully devoted is simply this. It deals with this issue of loyalty and totally dedicated. That's what you get when something's fully devoted. Now, is that something you just say, okay, to your, you know, if you're married and you said to your wife, I'm fully devoted to you, or does it need to be maintained? I just read something on Facebook, so I know it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's good too, right? Is the, is the person that says, you know, I don't really know, need to go to church to maintain my faith. And the guy said, but if you're married and you never go home, how's that going to work for you? You know, there's a process that we've got to maintain in this, you know, this part of it here. I had a guy tell me one time, I said, have you told your wife you love her? And he says, yeah, when we got married. He says, when we got married, I said, I love you. And if it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> I said, you probably want to loop back on that one. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So this idea of being fully devoted is really captured by this. But the point I want to make, and I could have kind of put this in is, we got we to gotta nurture and maintain that, don't we? And it's not always easy, is it? You know, you look at cases where we've been fully devoted and we've gotten hurt in that process. And there's people sitting in here today that were hurt in the process where they were fully devoted and thought somebody else was fully devoted and it didn't work out. And all of a sudden they're going, how can I trust anybody and how can I trust God then? Well, this, God is trustable and we're glad you're here today. The second thing is, is being a follower, this decision of the mind. You know, there's that old hymn, and again, there's probably maybe three of us, but we'll see who. You know, there's that old, old hymn that says, I have decided, I'm not going to sing it, I'm just saying the words, I have decided to, what's the words? Follow Jesus. I have decided. Where does that come from? It's a mindset, isn't it? So what we've talked about is we've got the heart that's fully devoted. We've got the mind that made a decision, right? So now we've got the heart and mind, and now we've got to talk about the journey on this thing. And this idea of being a journey, right? And that follower, you know, is defined by the opinions and so forth. We've got all of that. But now we get to the journey, right, to be spiritually maturing. What does that mean? Okay, I want you to know that I'm not calling you to spiritual maturity. It sounds too much like a destination, doesn't it? It sounds like we've got four classes and you will be spiritually mature. Boom! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Uh, anybody have that work for you after four classes or eight? I don't know. I mean, so my point on this is we're here together because we're on a journey together. It's a process of spiritually maturing, right, every season of our life. And, it, and look, I, I give you this because if I, we were calling you to perfection, that's really a tough thing to do, okay? I, I don't know about you, but I was perfect for about six hours last night, and then I woke up. Things got tougher, okay? The idea of being perfect and for us to project that out there uh, it's not what God's calling us to. 
And we'll walk through this. So what does it be, need to be in terms of spiritually maturing and on that journey? So let's go to Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 and what God tells us in His words here through the author of Hebrews. And He tells us some key things. He says, although He was a son, God is telling us about Jesus as a small s. And this is such, this scripture that I'm sharing with you here, right after the part where for God so loved the world that He'd let His son die on a cross and suffer for a guy like Stecker, that was pretty important to me. Because I kind of had a feeling that, you know, everything Jesus went through, the scourging, the cat of nine tails, the beating, the hanging on a cross, all of that. I mean, if it was Billy Graham, I could understand how God would see, you know, maybe that was worth it. Man, we'd let my son die for a guy like Billy Graham. But to die for a guy like Stecker, and look, when you look at me, if it looks good, God did it. If you look at me and it looks bad, believe me, it's a lot worse than you think. But for me, right? So this scripture right here I'm sharing is although he was a son... Just like I'm a son, you're a son, you're a daughter. We could go down through each person here, right? He learned obedience. Hang on to that word learned. Obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect. Pause there, because I just said it's not about perfection. The Greek word there is teleos, and what that means is mature. It's often used in the Greek when they talk about something that is maturing to its purpose. You know where they use it a lot is in fruit. That we talk about is the, the fruit maturing on the vine so it's ready to be used, right, for the purpose that God himself created it. So it talks about that journey of that. That's where that word there is, and that's what we took and made perfect. Don't care for it, but that's what's in the Scripture translated, not in the original, teleos. So he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him, right? Being designated by God as a high priest, the order of Melchizedek. So that's what God tells us there. There's, there's certain things that he tells us in that Scripture, right? And it's powerful because he's talking about this journey. And look, he says here, he learned obedience. There's some people that wanted to disagree and say, but it was Jesus. Come on. He didn't have to learn obedience. He was fully God, fully man. Really? So he never had a choice about being obedient. Let's jump back to the garden. He knows he's about ready to be arrested. He knows what lies ahead. He knows the Roman culture. He's going to be tried, convicted of a crime for which he never did, our crimes. He's going to be beaten mercilessly. He's going to hang on a cross. He's going to die. The Father is going to leave him. He has to descend to ascend, right? You got all of that? Jesus saw that, and in that moment, in that prayer, it says he prayed so hard that there was beads of blood that he sweat actually out. And he said, Father, if there's any other way to do this other than what I know lies ahead, you know, the scourging, the beating, the cross, and all that, could we take a look at maybe, Dad, a plan B that would accomplish the same thing? Do you understand the question that Jesus was asking? Father, is there, is there any other way we could do this? But what did he say? Obedience. He learned it. That's what the Word says. Father, but your will be done, not mine. Is what he said. So when we look at that right there, you know, he learned it. There's four things here. One, although he was a son. I love this. That's Jesus. He was a son. The second is he learned. What did he learn? Obedience. And then in that maturity, he became. See, that's his mission. And being designated by God, that was his purpose. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. We talked about it last week. Those are the four elements of this, right? But we really haven't nailed this issue of maturity completely. 
So we continue in Hebrews in 5, 11, sorry, in 11 and 14. Here's what it says. Now, remember, this is the, the writer there, and he's going, okay, about this, we have much to say. It's a great statement, isn't it? That's kind of like strap in and put your seatbelt on, your tray table, and your seat back in the upright position. I got a lot to say about this, right? It is hard to explain. Didn't say it was impossible. I love that for us. Since you have become dull of hearing, we could do a whole week on what does it mean to be dull of hearing, but it's just not listening to God, right? Not growing. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. There's that word again, isn't it? We keep coming back to what Jesus said to us, right? Teach, right? You should be teachers. And you need someone now to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles, the basic commands of God, what he's doing with us there. He goes on to say, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on the milk is unskilled by the word and righteous and the word of righteousness, since he is still, still a child. But solid food is for the, did you get that? Mature, because we're talking about what does it take to become spiritually maturing adults or spiritually maturing at any age. He said, but solid food is for the mature. Those who by their powers of discernment have trained by constant practice to distinguish from good and evil. Now we take that and we look at this and I'm gonna give you a definition, but it's important that we understand. The purpose of a definition is to give us a principle here that helps us regardless of your age, your gender, your cultural background. This is what I believe God is saying to us here. Right? Because he said, look, if you're still on milk, I've got a six-month-old grandson, right? He's still on milk. I remember when our oldest son was born and my wife was doing everything by the book and amazing, but he was eating and then a little bit later he was crying. And my sister-in-law came in who's about 20 years older than my wife or 15, 18, I don't know. At that age, you lose track. I'm kind of there. And she fed him and she held him and he cried and she says, this boy needs food. Now, she's from Kentucky, so you know she didn't, she struggled to speak her mind. We'll let that one go, okay? She said, he needs cereal in there. And she just jumped in the car, went to the store, got cereal, put it in the bottle, and I got my first night's sleep. The boy needed to go from milk to grain. He would later go fruits and vegetables and so forth. But look, we're carnivores. He said meat. That's what we're supposed to be doing there is we've got to be the ones that are able, right? And so this journey here of spiritual maturing and a reproducing disciple is simply this, is to discern good from evil, courageously act on the good, and take responsibility for your decisions. And that applies to us regardless of our age, gender, our cultural background. And this is what God is saying in his word, that we discern. That means we feel it in our spirit right? We courageously act on the good. And by the way, saints, I told you last week, you've got the toughest job. Look who I get to be with. You're here this Sunday. I get to be with you, but you're going to go to schools. You're going to go to work and places like that. It's, you're not going to hear the same music that we're playing here, are you? You've got the tougher job, but we've got to have the courage to act. And remember, very first message I preached here was stand, not against stand for what you're for. Isn't that what he's saying here? Discern good from evil, know what you're for. And then he's saying this, 
Have the courage to know what you're for and act on it and take responsibility for your decision. And that's what God's telling us there. We're gonna keep harping on this. There's three components, very simply it's this. We discern good from evil, the truth from the lie. We courageously act on the good and we take responsibility for our decision. There's a country western song I told the worship team on Thursday. I was here with them, had the privilege of praying with them and just having some time hanging out. And I said, I'm gonna quote a country western song. Well, here it is. I don't need to tell you who sang it. I can in the lobby if you wanna know, but it goes, the easy part's over, now the hard part begins. Charles Spurgeon said, whatever you believe at God about God will come out in how you live your life. Whatever you believe about God will come out. You can't help it but come out about how you live your life based on how you truly believe about God. So where are you at today? Are you struggling to discern good from evil? Maybe you're not struggling to discern good from evil. Maybe you know very clearly what you're supposed to do, but you're asking God, it's tough out there. It's tough in the schools, it's tough in the workplace. Are you asking God to give you the courage to act? And then, are you asking God to give you the courage to take responsibility for your decision? Those are really the things. Here at Summit Church, we have places to respond. And believe me, I told the worship team we prayed before we started here. And by the way, just so you know, before you even set foot in this building, your chair was prayed over. Everything in this church was prayed over. Every classroom was prayed over. I want you to know that's how important you are that we want as a staff, as a team, as a dream team, we want you to come into a place where we can honestly tell you, this has been prayed over. We've been waiting for you. And we pray it's gonna be a great day for you. So as you have that opportunity to respond, there's a couple of places. One, you'll see our prayer team on each side. They're there to pray with you. There's chairs in back, very safe place. If you need somebody to sit, pray with you and just join you in prayer on an issue. You'll also see on the tables there that the communion is set. If it's something where you need them to serve you, they're more than happy to do that. Or you're welcome just to take the communion elements. You're gonna hear a song here shortly about communion. If God moves on you to take communion, we want you to know it's available. The third thing is there's a cross there. And on that cross, you can nail to that. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There are things you need to say, God, it's finished. I've been carrying this too long. And you can put it there and my promise to you is it will be prayed for. It will be prayed over and we will join you in praying for you and whatever God puts on your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord. We do. What a privilege to come together, Father. What a privilege. Father, it's the most important time. As we listen to our worship team guide us through this, it's the most important time, Father. Father, will you move in our hearts for each one of us individually? Give us the courage to respond, Father, not to a message and not to the, but to you, Father. Would you give us the courage to respond? Father, we ask that you move us. Father, we ask all of that in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, amen.